0: I mean, we're all just looking forward, right? So everybody is at their place in their journey and you're always looking forward to see what you should be doing next.
1: You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Hi friend, welcome to another episode of Small Minded. This week we are welcoming my friend Lindsay Trotter, who is the owner of Chilled Freezer Meals in Center Point, Iowa. Now, the reason I brought Lindsay on is not because her frozen meals are so good, because they are. You need to go get those breakfast burritos. But also because she is so smart. I've followed Lindsay for a while now and not only do I love her foods and the convenience factor that it provides for my family, especially in busy seasons like this fall, but because she is so strategic and she trusts her gut while also educating and informing herself as her business grows and evolves. I've loved talking shop with Lindsay because I feel like she makes such great points that are both aspirational and practical. And I think you'll hear that throughout today's episode. And I'm also inspired by her decisions to take small calculated risks and then making those adjustments and pivots as she goes. Lindsay is just so much fun to chat with. She is an Enneagram three. She's a former teacher. She's a mom of young kids and she is just kicking ass right now with chilled freezer meals. So without any more banter from me, I am going to turn it over to my friend, Lindsay, from Chilled Freezer Meals in Center Point, Iowa. Well, I am so excited to welcome my friend,
0: Lindsay, to the podcast today. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello. I am a super podcast junkie, so it's always fun when I get to join in on one, and I'm very excited to be on yours, Molly. Um, Lindsay is joining us uh from the wilds
1: of Minnesota. She's usually from Iowa, but this week she's a Minnesotan
0: by Vegas. (laughs) I am. I'm sitting in this room that is a very interesting room. It's it's at a resort, and the king bed looks like you should be able to climb two ladders and go up onto a bunk bed, but it's not, it's like a canopy but I get to look out these two giant windows that show this huge Minnesotan Lake and it is beautiful. So it's a great place to record a podcast today.
1: Yeah. I thank you for taking the time to do this, but I wanted to bring you on because I love your story, first of all. And I think that you have such a gift for like strategy and planning and implementation. And I think you're going to be so great for our listeners at Small Minded today. So thank you.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe I shouldn't give it up that I don't always have a strategy because I don't feel like I have strategy often with that. That'll just ruin this episode, right? If I just say I don't have one.
1: (laughs) Well, you could have fooled me because I'm always like, when I hear you talk and when I like meet you, you're always like, well, this is where our best sellers are, this is how much we've gained in this month. This is how many orders we have going here. And I'm always like, wow, <laughs>
0: yeah, this is actually, that. this is really funny. Cause I had a conversation the other day with um, a new business owner and I was telling my husband about the conversation afterward. And I said, I was telling her about how to set her pricing and where her profit margins should be. And as I was saying all of this to her, I was thinking in my head, I know this stuff. I can explain this to somebody else. I understand it and can teach it. What? How how did I get to this place? <laughs> oh, because you're crazy. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's
1: back up. We'll get into profit margins and planning and pricing in a little bit. But why don't you back us up to the beginning, tell us who you are and what you do and how you got to chilled freezer meals?
0: Yes. So I own this little freezer meals company, and we are based in Center Point, Iowa. I have been in business for a little bit over three years. We started in April of 2018. And when I started, it was very small. Um, I had started making freezer meals for my own family, and my friends became interested in it, and it kind of grew from there. So we originally started the business working in a coffee shop, When they were closed. And then from there, I moved into my own kitchen space um, that was in a strip mall. And we quickly outgrew that space. And in April of this year, we moved into our own commercial kitchen space um, that we now own. So that has been a wild ride, um, but very exciting. So we deliver to a 60 mile radius of center Point, And we have pickup locations in seven cities throughout Eastern Iowa. And we also ship across the United States. So there's lots of moving parts to chilled.
1: Um, I can attest to uh, my favorites. Like if you are a listener and you haven't tried chilled yet, you got to head over to her website right now. Like I will give you permission to pause the podcast and go shopping at chilled, but you got to try the breakfast burritos. Those are a hit in my house. I don't know how many packages we bought last month, but they didn't last more than a day. And I'm like, you guys, (laughs) but breakfast burritos are awesome. Anything that you make with shrimp in it, I love. Um, And there's a whole bunch of other stuff too. But yes, go try Lindsay's chilled freezer meals right now. (laughs) Um, Okay. So when you said you started doing freezer meals, it was mostly with friends and family. And then it just kind of blossomed into a business. So did you always know that you wanted to go into business for yourself and that you were really good at cooking or how did that kind of
0: present itself? I could honestly answer no to both of those questions. So (laughs) I, you know, I think my parents would say that I had the entrepreneur blood in me when I was young. Uh, There was a time that I went door to door with my sister trying to sell our pictures because we heard our parents talking about money and we needed money to buy a house. So I Selling guess- Selling pictures door to door was going to get you there. <laughs> yeah, I totally, we were great artists apparently. But I didn't think that starting a business was ever going to be something that I did. It wasn't something that was modeled for me. And I think my generation, you know, the, the path that we were shown was that you went to college and you got a nine to five and you- had health insurance and a 401k and everything was safe. Um, so owning a business wasn't something that I was like, yeah, for sure. That's something I'll do. And the second part of that question, my husband would say that I am not a great cook. <laughs> 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 no, I say that jokingly, but, um, he always has his two cents of how I can adjust a dish, but I did not go to culinary school. I have no, uh, training in cooking. My background comes from the Food Network and Rachel Ray and all of those shows that I watched when I was in my early 20s. So when I started Chilled, it was something that I thought was just going to fill my time. So I should back up and tell the the first part of my story. That um, safe nine to five that I was going to have was a teaching career. So mm-hmm. I Went to college. Uh, My story is very similar to yours, Molly, that I Mm -hmm. went to college not really knowing what I wanted to do. And my mom was an educator. And so I thought, well, I guess this is what I'll do too. And I really liked kids. And I jumped into that world and quickly found out that I did not want to stay in that world. (laughs) Which is okay. That is okay. (laughs) Yes. In 2016, I uh, left to stay at home with my kids. And then that's how the freezer meal interest began, I guess. And then when I saw that there was a possibility that I could make money from it, that's when I really started pursuing it as a business. So,
1: And this also just like, if people have been listening for any amount of time to this podcast, this also goes to like prove my theory that teachers can do anything. Like if you're trained to be a teacher, (laughs) you are just like, The master of all domains, and you are going to be well suited to be like a small business owner or entrepreneur too. But I digress. So, yeah, I hear a lot of my story and your story too, because we, I I agree, like when we were coming up through high school, like the question wasn't, are you going to college? The question is, where are you going to college? And then what is your degree going to be? And we were just kind of, And I feel that to an extent that may be changing, but it's still very like, I don't know, widely accepted that kids are always going to pursue a four-year degree after high school. And they're going to figure out immediately what they want to do with the rest of their 70 years of life. And they're going to be happy with it. And that's not the case for a lot of people. And so when you were saying you decided to stay home, like that's something I want people to just like hear again, like it's okay to get a degree and it's okay to not use your degree forever because how are you supposed to know at age 18 or even 21 or even 35 like what you are want to do for the next 40 years it's a hard concept i think for young kids
0: yeah i i totally agree with you on that looking back on my college years and then the start to my teaching career so i am an enneagram three which if you know anything about the enneagram It's the people that are very goal oriented, achievers. They need to know what their next accomplishment is going to be. And when I started my teaching career, my next goal was to get my master's degree. And so I went and I did that and checked that box, accomplished that. I had a job that I really liked working with the students and I really liked my colleagues. The political side of things was a little bit difficult for me because I taught at risk. So that was a little messy, but that set aside, I got to a point where I didn't know what my next goal would be. And so I started investigating going into a principalship program or administration, because that's the next thing that you do in education. After you have your master's, then you go to become an admin, or maybe you're going to work for the AEA or something along those lines. Um, and then after some thought I had actually applied for it, I got all the letters of recommendation, I got the acceptance letter. And then that first payment bill came in and I looked at that and I was like, I'm going to check this box, not because I want to do it, but it's because it's the next thing I'm supposed to do. And in order to do it, I have to pay more money. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I struggled with as an educator was there was this constant um, cycle of in order to to do the next thing, you had to pay for it. And you didn't see that return always. And so now as an entrepreneur, I can set some goals and my accomplishments, and I don't have to put in a dime most of the time, but I can see a return from that. And to me, that's so much more worth it than when I was in education and I was just trying to climb the ladder.
1: I can hear a lot of myself in that too. Like thinking about when I got a classroom job, like, like what you talked about, the way to advance in your position was to go get a master's. And then if you wanted to advance beyond that, you had to go get a principalship or administrator. And I was like, I don't want to leave the classroom. Like I want to be able to still work with kids, but to get to the next step in that ladder, you had to remove yourself from what the job was. And that wasn't something I was willing to do. But also then I figured out like other things happen. Everybody knows my story. But anyway, <laughs> all that's just to say I agree with you. Like that it's hard to advance much in education without investing in the money up front or going outside of the classroom, which is what you got into it to do in the first place. But I think that it's important to be able to share that because like we talked about, everybody's journey is different and it doesn't always equal the fact that you need to have a degree or use a degree that you already acquired. Like entrepreneurship is a great option and you can, especially for an Enneagram three or someone who is goal oriented and self-motivating, like you can set the goals for yourself. You can make small changes and you can pursue the next step as you see it unfolding, not determined by someone else or another structure entity.
0: Yeah, that's a whole nother piece to this conversation is that nobody's telling me what to do. And (laughs) that was hard for me in education, having people tell me how I was supposed to best serve my students because they needed to fit in this box. But that's another story for another day.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe we should. So to get off our soapbox, I, and not to say like, I love education and I will still advocate for it. And I love having people on to talk about teaching. I just know that personally, like this career path suits me better. <laughs> so
0: totally, anyway, totally. All
1: right. So let's get back to chilled. So after, <laughs> <laughs> so after you decided to step away from the classroom and you were a stay at home mom, How did you get into preparing these freezer meals and especially, I know, I mean, I know this part of your story, but our listeners don't, um, how did you get familiarized with the pack or the idea of producing freezer meals in large quantities? Like what was the impetus behind that?
0: So I think that this applies really to any type of business that someone's growing. You start small. And then very slowly it grows. So for example, we just finished prepping meals for Reg Bray and I had a lot of extra people in the kitchen and all of them were blown away by the scale that we work on. So we typically prep meals in like 30 or 40 batches is how we say it. So that means that we're going to produce 30 small family-sized meals at once. And we have a spreadsheet that we use that tells us all of our math. This is, this is actually a product that you guys can buy on my website if you're interested at all in doing this yourself. It does all the math for you. And developing that was kind of the cornerstone of my business. But we didn't always work in this 30 and 40 badge. So I started and the badges were usually in five or 10. So once you get really good at that, then you get it a little bit bigger. And then once you're really good at that step, then you get a little bit bigger and it just kind of goes from there. So I'm kind of at the place right now where I'm training my staff in being able to do that. And that has been a learning experience for me because I keep so much of it in my brain, (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but they, they're doing awesome at learning and seeing how these steps grow. But yeah, I think you asked me another part of that question, but I don't know where I went with it.
1: No, I think that this is really great to talk about because for two reasons, when you get on this journey of thinking about starting your own business or becoming an entrepreneur, sometimes you get this idea and then you just want to go full force behind it. But I love that you talked about like when you began, it just started with making a double batch or a quadruple batch and then testing out your market. So figuring out what you can do, and then figuring out what will sell are two different things. And I hear a lot of that in what you just said about like starting small and growing from there. So was there something that you started small that like way exceeded your expectations? And then on the converse, was there something that you started and you're like, Whoa, that didn't go as planned.
0: On um, breakfast burritos. Yes. Those <laughs> started, started small and exploded. <laughs> Um, No, we definitely have a handful of recipes that I didn't necessarily expect were going to become this amazing product that we have, but really have grown since we started. When I first started the business and I was cooking in that coffee shop's kitchen, I was technically only going to use it on Sundays. And in my planning, I was only going to do it one Sunday a month. And our market was very small. So I was serving mostly people in the small town that I live in. And we only had a pickup option. And I was only offering that once a month. So I put out a Google spread or Google form. People picked what meals they wanted. I sent individual invoices to all of them. And then once all of the orders were in, I went in and I prepped their meals. And thinking back on this, this is so funny. The way that I kept track of whose meals were whose On each individual label that I printed, I typed the people's names. So like I would go to the freezer and I'd be like, oh, Smith, this is your package of burritos. There's no way we can do that now.
1: (laughs) No, but at the time, like you said, you started small and it was like, that was manageable.
0: Yep. And that was the system that I used. And then as we grew, I realized that that system didn't work. So we transitioned. Uh, I had somebody help me develop a website. Um, that was probably in, I think, October of 2018. She helped me put together a website. And that uh, it takes all the orders, takes all the payments, does all of that. And I feel like at that time, there wasn't as many platforms or options available. Now you can go and build a website and make it this beautiful e-commerce situation, especially after COVID. Like, that side of things
1: since then really
0: grew. Uh, so you can, you can start with that.
1: Yes. I think that you're just speaking to the fact again of like starting somewhere and then growing as you go. So many times I feel like when I have conversations and I know you do too, with people who are thinking about starting a small business, we can get overwhelmed with like the things we see on social media, or we listen to a podcast and these gurus are telling us like, you have to do this, that, and the other thing. And I know that like one year into my business, I was like, I need to have systems and procedures and I need to get this like expensive software and all this stuff. And then quickly I realized like, no, that's not suitable for where I'm at right now. Like I can start at this other stage, like maybe just recording it in a spreadsheet, or like you said, starting with a simple software. And then when I get to the point where I'm like, this isn't working anymore, then I can go and get something a little more complex or a little more powerful. But I love that you brought up the fact like that you've just been kind of working with where you're at and then you evolve as your business evolves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, we're all just looking forward, right? So everybody is at their place in their journey and you're always looking forward to see what you should be doing next. Nobody's turning around and looking and seeing what you have accomplished. So if you're in that starting place and you're looking forward to all of these people who are doing things that are bigger than you, turn around and see, okay, you uh, made the decision to start this business you have checked some things off your list, you know, maybe you got your LLC set up, or you filed for your sales tax permit or whatever you've accomplished. You know, there's little steps along the way that once you get past them, they seem like they're insignificant, but really somebody who's looking at you sees them as these huge steps that they can't wait to take on themselves. So don't downplay where you're at. Oh, a hundred
1: percent. And yeah, like you said, starting your LLC or applying for that or designing your logo. I remember doing that and I was like, I've made it. And then like getting my first sweatshirt with my logo on it. I was like, now I've made it. But like, (laughs) You just, every, like you said, you know, where we're watching other people at on social media is where they're at today. And a lot of times we've just started following these people either in the middle of their journey or like late in their journey to where they are. Like we haven't seen where they started. We don't know the exact steps they took, but it's important to realize that they had to start somewhere too. So just like Lindsay said, start small and grow from there. So when you decided, okay, I'm starting chilled and you said you invested in this uh, first software and then you invested in the website, And then now over the last few years, your business has evolved and grown rapidly from deciding to purchase the new space and build out your own kitchen to expanding your work dates, your delivery dates, your radius. How do you know when it's time to take a strategic risk and grow your business? Is there something that you do personally to assess that? Or is it like a feeling or what?
0: I am definitely one who goes on gut instinct and we're talking to like a business consultant, that may not be the path. I actually met with a business consultant when I first started, I was probably maybe six months in. Actually, I think it was about the time that we were considering building out our first kitchen. And my husband is very down to earth. He needs to see the numbers. He wants everything to be black and white. And he is not pretty much, he's not a risk taker. And so he had an acquaintance that has been in the business world for a long time. He's grown and sold several businesses and now he works as a business consultant. And he was great. He met with me for free, which I was very grateful for. But he laid out so many things that I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a business degree or an economics degree or anything along those lines. I just know that people want to buy these meals and people are asking me for them. And they want me to come to their town and they want me to deliver to their house. And I just feel like it'll probably work. So that's what we're gonna do. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And that is what we have done. But sometimes it feels like when I think about all of the things that we have checked off the list, that there wasn't anything that hasn't gone well or that has fallen through. But there are plenty of those things that have happened. And then we just let those things go. So when you're working on your business and you try something and it doesn't work, then you stop doing it. And Mm -hmm. I think that uh, another thing that I have learned, um, there are several risks that we have taken that have required capital, right? Have required us to put money into it. The risks that I'm talking about where you just like do it and if it doesn't work, you stop doing it are the low pressure ones where you're not throwing a ton of money at it. So we didn't build out a kitchen when we first started this business because I didn't know if it was gonna work. That's why we started in the coffee shop. We didn't buy property when I realized, okay, this is something. We rented because I knew that we could get out of that if we needed to. And then once that proved itself, we had the proof of concept and we were totally outgrowing it then it made sense and we actually had some cash flow and some savings to be able to purchase this next property. So take the risk on like the low ball stuff, like off of gut, but the bigger ones that are gonna require you to input more, you should have a track record, have some information that informs you on whether or not it's gonna work moving forward. So that's kind of how we have decided the path that we've taken.
1: That's a really good distinction to make. Cause I agree with you. Like there is an element of just like gut check and like having confidence in yourself. And like you said, like when you start off and they're kind of the low risk, you can use those wins to build your confidence and like kind of get your feet wet and get your business sense about you, especially as you're starting. And then also to your point about, when it's time to like actually put capital or put your money where your mouth is, like those are bigger risks than maybe you should like speak to an expert or get a (laughs) business consultant or run your numbers with a professional, because those are a little more high stakes. So yes, lean into your gut checks, but also when the stakes are higher, like you might want to consult a professional. So throughout your journey, is there like, uh, have you done any courses or like masterminds or any business coaches yourself that you've worked with that have kind of helped guide you through this business owner journey?
0: Yeah. So we've had a couple of different opportunities. So when I very first started my business, I had a friend who was sharing about this business group that she was in. It is the inner circle with Jennifer Allwood. And it was a great starting point for me. So it, it, showed me kind of the basics of business. And it also showed me the basics of growing a business on social media, which has been invaluable to growing chilled. Social media is such a great place to be able to advertise and market your business and be able to show your customers who you are and what your mission is and doing that in the right way, in the right context, having somebody kind of lead you through that I think is really important. So, that was a very low level thing when i first started that i invested in but i remember my husband being like is it really worth 50 dollars a month to be in this thing that i mean what do you what do you get out of it like does she call you and i was like no she doesn't call me there's like 300 <laughs> people on this group but i did have some ways that i could connect with her so she had a monthly training she had q and a calls so she had some really great things available and um After a little bit, I outgrew that, which is fine because her market is people that are starting, right? And everybody has to start somewhere. And so she should continue to offer that service. So that was a really good way to start my business. And I mean, I feel like I should plug a little bit that Molly's going to do something along these lines. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's not why I asked this question, but yeah, (laughs) shameless plug. Keep in mind that we're going to have something soon.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, that was a good way for me to get started. I haven't found any type of uh, mastermind or anything that I felt like has been a good fit because it would be like another level of investment. But Mm -hmm. I did start connecting with another group of business women through empower her and Molly and I are both a part of that group. And that has been really helpful just to be able to have a sounding board of people. So there's not necessarily structured training there. Everybody is very much at the same point. I think like people have started their businesses, they're established. Having that kind of a network, I think is good when you're an entrepreneur because it can be a little bit lonely, especially if you're a solopreneur where you're just running things by yourself. Having other people that you can bounce ideas off of is a really great thing to have in your back pocket. Um, And then the other thing that we did when you said we should consult an expert when we're making some of these larger decisions, uh, one thing that we did do when we were first investigating buying the property we own now is we reached out to the Iowa State Extension Office, which I didn't know the level of services that they have available. A lot of them are cost effective or free. So we had somebody that did a business valuation for us. And then we also had somebody that wrote financial projections for us. And both of those things were very, it was a very in-depth process. Like they, they dug into all of our numbers. They looked, they did market research for us. They did all of this. And we only spent $1,500 on both of those things.
1: I did so, not know they did that.
0: Yeah. I, there are some really smart people that are working in that office. And um, we also, we had somebody come in and did a kitchen layout for us. They helped us kind of think through some of the different um, like food safety standards and things like that. So they have a lot of options available. And the Small Business Administration also has some of those services for free. So just digging into what your county offers and what your state offers, there's usually people that are just sitting at a desk waiting for people to ask.
1: (laughs) Oh, that is so important to bring up. And that's, I love this about you, Lindsay, like you are so motivated and you and I can talk about influencers and we can talk about like experts in our industry on social media, but then I love that you bring in the practical and you're like, but don't forget about ISU extension and the SBA. Because I know that when I was getting started in business, like I looked to social media and I would imagine other people are too. And I was like, well, these are the experts. That's who I should be learning from. And then like two years in, I found out that there's something called the small business administration and they're local. There's local offices, but they're part of a federal organization. And their job is to help small businesses win. And I'm like, well, geez, I did not know they existed. But I love that you bring that practical side too, that you don't have to look on social media on a national level. You can look in your county and you can get some really cost-effective help there too.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the great things about those organizations is a lot of the time, the people that are working there are people that are tried and true, right? They have built businesses. They have walked this journey. They have had these same challenges. And then they can help you through those. And that's their whole job is to help you through those. Like they're not trying to also run their business and maybe coach you on the side. They are there to help you win. So absolutely seek out those opportunities.
1: And I think they give uh, a knowledge of the local like lay of the land, if you will, too. So if you're someone who's maybe going to start a business and you don't want to have a nationwide scope, you maybe just want to serve like services to people in your county radius. Like they know who lives in your county. They know the demographics. They know the median income. So they can give you some of that really specific information that you need at your level. And they are definitely a resource to consult. I love that you brought that up. Thank you. So, okay, we've talked about like high level things. Now let's talk about chilled specifically. So when you were taking on all of these different risks at different times in your business and you said you needed to like know your numbers, like how do you keep all of this stuff organized? Is there a system you have behind the scene that helps you keep inventory and like run your numbers? Or is there any other way that you could recommend for listeners who are looking to get organized in that way?
0: Um, I think my best pieces of advice on this are to hire an accountant and not someone who is just doing your taxes for you. So it is an investment to have a bookkeeper slash accountant who is in your numbers every month, but it is a hundred percent worth it. So when I talked about working with ISU and them doing projections and financial statements for us, they needed all of those numbers. And if I had not had a bookkeeper or an accountant to help me put those statements together, they would have no information to work off of. So when you're gonna make some of those high-level decisions and you need those numbers, it's the little day-to-day things that you do to be able to have that information at your fingertips when you need it. So. When I first started my business, I tried to use QuickBooks and I wanted to stab my eyes out because (laughs) nothing ever reconciled like it should, nothing ever matched. There was always a problem in that stupid setup. And so I gave up on it and I was just going off of a Google spreadsheet, which I thought I was like on it. All this information was right. And now I look back at it and I'm like, if I ever get audited for the year 2018, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) None of that stuff looks very good. But then um, I hired my accountant and she is amazing. I would recommend looking outside of what you typically think of as an accountant. So prior to this, I had someone that was I feel like their whole job was to run payroll and to do people's taxes. And those people are great services to have in our small towns. However, when you're talking about digging into your numbers, you need somebody who is wanting to do that piece, not just that's a side part of their business and really they just do people's taxes. Um, So I found somebody, uh, her name is Sheila Hansen and she's amazing, she's in Nebraska. And we work remotely and it is great, but I know that this is her jam. Like this is the kind of stuff that she likes to do. She likes to dig into people's numbers and help them make financial decisions for their business. So when I first started working with her, she set up my QuickBooks for me. And this is the other piece of information that I will tell people. You have to be in your QuickBooks every day. So you can't wait and do all of your categorizations just once a month, you have to do it every day. So I look at two things every day. I categorize, which is usually only, if it's more than five things, that's kind of strange. So it, it takes me five minutes to categorize. And I look at my profit and loss statement every day. So then I can know <laughs> if I need, I need to- be-
1: I'm writing a note right now, like go in and <laughs> categorize my own
0: QuickBooks. <laughs> Yeah. And I I mean, some people might think this is a little bit over the top, but if I'm looking at my profit and loss statement every day, I will be able to make decisions about what we're selling. And do I need to market something a little bit harder? So then our sales are higher. Do I need to look at my staffing? Am I paying too much for the wages that I'm paying my employees? Not that I'm paying them too much, but is their work not as if as efficient as it needs to be in order to um, kind of pay the bills.
1: Is there a way you stay organized as far as like what day of the month that you're going to prep meals or what day you're delivering to certain areas? Like, how do you keep all of that scheduling
0: straight? It's really driven by our sales. I feel like this is going to go in like a different direction, but that's okay. That's Okay. <laughs> So our menu opens every month on the 1st and when it opens, we have an influx of orders always. I I would say probably between 40 and 50% of our sales come in on the first day of the month. And that's really helpful because then that tells us what we need to make moving forward. So we usually start and have kind of a stockpile ready before the first of the month. And then as that sells down, we make more. And then when we get towards the middle, around the 20th, we set an inventory and then we stop making that current month's products and we move on to the next month's products. So we don't necessarily sell out. In the beginning, we absolutely did because we didn't have the capacity or the staffing to do so. But now we, we have the ability to be flexible with that. So we just kind of roll with how sales come in. And for the most part, we are in the kitchen between 20 and 30 hours a week with my full staff. And then um, if I need to fill in here or there, I do, but it's kind of crazy to say that I don't really cook anymore. So.
1: But I think this just kind of illustrates what I started the interview with and what we touched on in the middle, but like you're constantly evolving and you didn't get to this system or this monthly layout overnight. You definitely didn't get to it in the first month of business. Like it comes with time. It comes with getting yourself set up so that you can watch your numbers and that you can watch what's working and what's not. It's testing things in different markets. And then it's making good decisions based on the numbers that you see coming in. And I think everything that you said about, as far as like categorizing your QuickBooks, looking at your profit and loss, all the way to like coming up with this monthly schedule that's working for your business right now. Like it's all coming back to starting small and then paying attention to how your business and sales are shifting, depending on what you're doing at that time. But I hope people see that this is just like an illustration of how organized and strategic you are, too, because I think that is such a gift. I love it. Because my mind doesn't work like that. Like, seriously, when you said the QuickBooks thing, I was like, well.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Like when people get overwhelmed by that, I'm like, it just, it's going to take 10 minutes of your day. It's that's 10 minutes. So if you can check your emails and you can check your DMS, then check your QuickBooks It is all in one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Good tips. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about, which I don't have very good segues. I feel like I'm jumping around, but I just want to pick your brain about all these things. Cause I feel like you're so smart. One of the things that I really admire about you too, is that not only are you giving people the opportunity to have these delicious meals, like they're frozen, you can throw them in your oven, you can put them in your instant pot, you can put them in the air fryer and they're done. So like for busy families, like what a gift, but also you found other ways to give back locally. So first up, you source a lot of your meats from local farmers, which I think is so important and then you give back to other organizations or people in need with some of your meals. So I think that's really commendable, but also I want you to speak to like why did you start doing this? Why did you start sourcing locally and what is the importance of giving back locally to you?
0: So I think this is just the theme of my business. Something happened and so I pivoted and I made that choice to do it. So we started sourcing our beef locally, mainly because during COVID, we couldn't get beef. So I, prior to working with farmers, I was just getting my beef at Sam's and, you know, I went, I don't know, it was probably May, I think I went in to buy some and it was like weeks of, there is no beef to be purchased. And now if you want to purchase it, it's going to be five, $6 a pound for beef. That isn't really great quality. I mean, all beef is good beef, like it's healthy and it's good for you. But I also knew that I would like to source it locally from a farmer and have a higher level of, um, control, I guess, over the products that were coming into my kitchen.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So we reached out to the farm that we as a family were getting our beef from and asked them if they would be interested. They had just gotten licensed to be able to sell direct to consumer. And so I could purchase their beef and sell it through my business. There's a lot of red tape there. So just if you're thinking of doing anything like this, you need to know that there's regulations, Mm -hmm. but I asked them if they would be interested and we put together some pricing. And that is, we now have two local beef farmers that we source our beef from, one um, that we use for our our shipments and then another that we use for our local orders. And both of them, I love that they're just very transparent with how they take care of their animals, how they run their farms, how they package their meats, their butchers that they use, all like all of those things. So um, that's how we ended up there. And then also with giving back. So you mentioned that there's been a couple of opportunities that I have had, but they've not necessarily been things that I have sought out. So Mm -hmm. last year in August, um, in our area, we had a derecho come through. So that is a land hurricane. And it really devastated a lot of the farming communities in our area, as well as some of our major cities. And I had a friend reached out and there's all of these people in Cedar Rapids that didn't have power or water and so clearly didn't have access to food. And she reached out and we had power in Center Point and asked if we would be willing to make some hot meals. And I said, well, we haven't done it before, but I guess we'll figure it out. And that's what we did. For three days straight, we made a bunch of meals and delivered them. Oh my gosh, that was that was one of the. I shouldn't say few times I've cried, but one of the times that was just very overwhelming for me and my business. We got to this school to deliver our meals, and I was like, "Yes, like we have three hundred meals that we can hand out to people." And we pulled up to the school, and the line went. I I it wrapped around the school. It probably went for like five blocks of all of these cars, and I was like, "We can't feed all of these people," and so. We handed those meals out, we got back in the car and we went and we kept making food. So after that, we also did some meals for farm families. We did freezer meals. So I worked with um, my friend, Crystal Blinn, who helped us kind of navigate that system of connecting with farmers because they are notorious for not asking for help. Mm-hmm. And we uh, put together freezer meals packages for them. And we had lots of generous donations from people all across the country, which was amazing. But again, it was something that somebody asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. And I jumped in and will definitely, I'll say yes, if I'm asked, I know what you put out into the world comes back to you. So I'm more than willing to help out where it is needed.
1: Oh my gosh. And I watched you, we met each other, like, I think it was maybe right around the time that COVID came out. And so this was about six months later, but I remember just watching you navigate this and like, helping as much as you could, even though like Centerpoint is not far from Cedar Rapids, which was like in that area was kind of like the worst of the worst of this derecho. And like the way you guys and people in your community and in your organization stepped up to help, like it was just so inspiring and the good you made, it just connects like what you do on a micro level, like making meals in the kitchen and shipping them out to families to something that is such a macro level, like we feed people and people need food. And we were able to help when they couldn't do that for themselves. And I think that just is like such a beautiful thing. And I think it also speaks to the Testament of like small towns rallying and coming together to help support one another. And is there like something that you just in particular love about small town life or small town living that you want to share with listeners today?
0: Yeah, I think that living in a small town, I grew up in a small town. And I would tell you, like my 17 year old self would have said, I hate this place and I'm never coming back. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I think that there's, when you've lived in a small town for your whole life, you're like growing up years, you think there's so much opportunity out there that you're missing out on. And then you go out and you see what's available and then you just want to come back. So we moved away for, um, let's see, we lived in Wisconsin, like outside of Green Bay for about six years. And thinking about where we lived and the neighborhood we were in, I can't tell you the names of my neighbors living there for six years. And our network of people that we had were all people that my husband worked with. But if they left the job or eventually when we left, we're not really connected with those people. There are a few good friends that we made. But now living in the small town that we do, I can think of this huge network of people that could help me at any time. For example, I just served food for Reg Bri and I had 20 people that stepped up to come and help me. And it's because everybody wants to be a part of what is happening in the town. And they're willing to work with you and do that in any way that they can. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy is to know that at any given moment, I have people that I can call on and I'm more than happy to step up if they need to call on me. So I do enjoy that about small towns.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. So Let's tell people, we're getting close on time, so let's remind people where they can find Chilled Freezer Meals online, social and otherwise, and then we're going to go into the small talk round, which is just a bunch of questions that I would love to ask you.
0: So you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Chilled Freezer Meals. I spend a lot of time in my Instagram stories, so if you are not watching those, you should jump on in there because it's
1: and she has amazing reels her reels are great
0: (laughs) it's generally entertaining um I am not ashamed to make a fool of myself so come and watch it happen
1: (laughs) (laughs) those are the best kind of people I feel like if you have a good sense of humor and you can laugh at yourself we're gonna be friends (laughs) yes
0: for sure
1: and Visit Chilled online, you can look over their menu, place your order, you can get it shipped, or if you're local, you can get it delivered. If you're in the 60 mile radius, correct?
0: Yes. Yeah. So um, and we also right now are doing a Chilled 101 on Facebook. And I'm also sharing it on my Instagram stories, and there's a highlight bubble. So if you get to either of our platforms and you're like, where do I start? Hit that highlight and you'll get all the information that you need. That's
1: amazing information. Good. All right. So the small talk round. I'm just going to ask questions and I would like you to answer off the top of your head. Okay. All right. Question number one. What's your favorite product
0: that has ever been in your menu? Oh. This is hard because we have like 150 recipes. So how am I supposed to choose? (laughs) (laughs) Um so I really like the garlic cream sauce that we use and that actually is the base for several other recipes. So I get to have that in lots of different ways. So we have the Tuscan shrimp pasta that uses that, our Tuscan chicken pasta uses a variation of that and our bow tie Alfredo that just went into kid packs also has that. So I feel like I get to eat that very often.
1: It's a favorite at our house too. All right. Question number two, you and I are about the same age. I'm not going to reveal what that is, but (laughs) what is the best concert you ever attended in the 2000s?
0: Um, My staff would tell you that I have terrible taste in music. (laughs) I disagree.
1: I think your taste is wonderful because I know what you listen to and I think it's awesome.
0: So I like a lot of different kinds of music. Like I will listen to whatever, but my favorite favorite from that era is kind of like emo punk. So my favorite concert was Dashboard Confessional. And interestingly enough, I get to go see them again in October. So.
1: Oh my gosh, what a full circle moment.
0: (laughs) My husband bought me tickets and he's not very excited about going. And Abby who works for me and she's also like my best friend, Um, she will not go either. She said she would rather slit her wrists. (laughs) They're not, they're good. Like, what is their problem? She, she says that that kind of music makes her want to jump off a cliff. She just can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy for you anyway. So who are you going to take? My husband is going with me. He, he is gonna take one for the team, I guess.
1: (laughs) I love that. Um, okay. Next question. What podcast are you most likely to be found listening to?
0: Well, Molly's, duh. But that was another shameless plug. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's like a baited question, right? You go on somebody's podcast and you're supposed to say their podcast. No, I do actually really no, you enjoy are listening not. to Molly's podcast. Um I went on a long stint that I was listening to all of these business podcasts and I would get like so deep and like reeled into them. And I think it was good when I was first starting my business, but I haven't been doing that so much anymore. Um, Lately, I have been listening to a lot of crime podcasts, which I don't know which one is better for me to be like in this deep hole about business or this deep hole about people (laughs) getting murdered. I don't know which is better. (laughs) They probably have pros and cons to both sides, you know? (laughs) yes um but the two that have been really good is the root of evil was an excellent listen, very disturbing don't listen to it with your children around and the other one that I really have enjoyed is counter clock season three which is a very interesting murder story and it is still um, like in the courts like it's still being hashed out so yeah it's a good one
1: um, I can totally relate to going through seasons of podcast listening. Cause yes, I too would listen to like all the business, like Jenna Kutcher, Amy Porterfield, like all of the gurus. But then I kind of found myself going out of that, but I never got into the crime podcasts. So I'm more, you can find me listening to like the humorous, like pop culture ones instead, I guess. All right. A couple more questions and then we will sign off. Question number four. We are getting to like quarter four of the year. What is a goal or a bucket list item that you have before the year ends? And this can be business or personal.
0: Um,
1: other than your dashboard confessional concept.
0: <laughs> you know, this is kind of crazy. Like for me as an Enneagram three, um, we've talked about this, Molly, how, we're kind of in this season of like, not knowing what the next thing is going to be. And I, that's kind of where I am at. Um, so I guess maybe my like goal slash bucket list for quarter four for my business is to identify what that next step looks like. And personally, I think just um, finding more of the balance between my business and my personal life. I do feel like I have done that this summer. June was a great month of knowing when to have my foot on the gas and when to not. And I feel like July and August, we're still kind of on that same path. Um, fall tends to be our busy season because people get back to school and they're like, oh crap, what do mm-hmm. we feed our families for dinner? So yeah. just to continue that balance through the time, that's going to be probably a little insane is, is the goal for, for quarter four.
1: I love that. All right. Last one. What was your first job that you were paid for?
0: I feel like I could say babysitting, but everybody says babysitting. So my first job, job, I was a lifeguard and it was an excellent job to have as a 15 year old, 16 year old, because I didn't have to go to work until noon. I got to sit outside and get a tan and I, I did have to put up with some bratty kids, but I guess it prepared me for my teaching career. So good (laughs) Good practice.
1: (laughs) Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I think that you're like, like I said, a million times in this episode, like the strategy you have and the organization. And I love seeing how you take risks, but you trust your gut at the same time. And like, I just hope that people listening can take at least one nugget of what you've shared today and apply it to their own business journey. And yeah, I just really appreciate you. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me. I mean, I don't like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to walk out of this room. You've said so many things. I think my head's going to not fit through the door, (laughs) 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 but yeah, I mean, I just will just reiterate that you are starting somewhere and all of this evolution happens slowly. So don't listen to my story and think that I have it all figured out because it has taken a long time to get to the place that I'm at. So,
1: and we're still evolving. Yep. Yep. So go follow her so you can watch what the next step is. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: All right. Bye Lindsay. Thank you.
1: Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at media.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one, take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well lived, being small minded.